0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Steered, Florida. And next to me is the dashing, wonderful, handsome, extremely intelligent, but also just a nice guy who likes long walks on the beach. It's Rabbi Durbin uh, from Temple Beth Hayam. Uh, Rabbi, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Um, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm super. You know, your your accent of the Hebrew uh, of Temple Beth Hayam is uh, it's, 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 it's impeccable. Great.
0: Yeah, I do Duolingo, so that's where, that's where I picked up on, on that, like that. So, um, so you know, we're we are in episode two, of uh, of uh, exploring how do you form religious leaders um, in the twenty first century, but not only just the twenty first century, just like in the last year in the world. Uh, last year we went, we brought on a, a leader of a seminary, of, of an Episcopal seminary, uh, so forming Christian leaders, uh, and this week. Uh, we are now bringing in another head of a college. Um, we are bringing in um, a, a Reverend Deborah, who is she? She's running, from what I understand. Now, tell from right, like one of the the largest progressive colleges or the most prominent progressive college. Can we just say the most progressive? Let uh, uh, say the oldest progressive seminary in in Europe. Throw in some more hyperbolic terms, though. It'd make it sound really amazing. Sure, you can do that. It's okay. really amazing. So there she is. She's here. And she is going to break down why, um, what is it like to be a leader of leaders? What is it like to be a leader of leaders that can't leave her house? And then be also forming other leaders who can't leave their house, who have children running around in the background, uh, and dealing with all the different craziness that we've seen, including, uh, the, the, which last week didn't come up, uh, including uh, anti-Semitism. Um, the rise of anti-Semitism that we've seen. Um, so, Reverend Deborah, you have flown in on uh, on Virgin Zoom Airlines all the way from the UK. Um, it is wonderful to have you here, and we understand that you also have you also know this guy next to me. Um, you know, Rabbi Quaffhair. Um, um, so, were you you're responsible for him, aren't you?
2: Sadly, I know wonderfully, <laughs> I can say yes, he was one of my students, and I am uh, so deeply touched to have been invited today and so thrilled to see the rabbi that uh, Matt Aww. has become. It's, it's a real honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right, Father, so she's it's, of- it's, it's interesting because uh, you know so, so I, I actually have the opportunity to look at my uh, what we call Samkha, my, my ordination certificate, and uh, certainly uh, the fourth name down on the left is uh is deborah is you as oh. you signed oh. uh, my my ordination certificate um um i guess 13 years ago um and it, wow. you know, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm really thrilled because you know with last week's conversation and certainly this week's conversation on a personal note i feel like i i am now complete because not only did we have uh, the the very reverend ian markham from um um, um virginia theological seminary for uh certainly Episcopal, but I also uh, went to high school, a Church of England school. So I, I went to an Anglican high school, so certainly familiar with that. And now bringing uh, the Jewish aspect and uh, the Jewish world into it uh, this morning, uh, uh, my, my heart is full. Uh, so we are very excited uh, and thrilled to welcome uh, Rabbi Dr. Deborah Khan harris uh, principal of Leo Beck College, here to uh, a priest and a rabbi.
0: All right, everyone, buckle your seatbelts. Reverend Deborah, are you ready to go? I keep on calling you Reverend. Rabbi Deborah. are you ready to roll?
2: Uh, ready to rock and roll.
0: All right, guys, get ready for another episode.
3: Here from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beth Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or a Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi.
1: Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is a priest and a rabbi here this morning to uh, engage and inspire as we go through yet um, another episode, uh, which is wonderful. Um, you know, Father Anderson, it's great to see you this morning.
0: It's always good to see you and your very coiffed here this morning, um, and um, I am excited for part two of our series um, last week, if you all were listening to our show, first of all, thank you for listening to us. Um, but if you were listening, we had on a dean of a, a Episcopal seminary talking about the challenges and the opportunities of raising up new leaders to meet the challenges of uh, the 21st century. And it's been a, quite a year. And so how how are they doing that? So that was last week. But Rabbi, what are we doing this week? Because this is part two. How are we, we going to top that?
1: Yeah, you know, so so you know, I I'm really thrilled about today. Uh we have a, a an incredibly just uh amazing guest uh, to join us. Um she comes uh she hails from um, out of the UK, out of England. Um it is it, it's great. Uh, you know, last week as you said, you know, we brought in uh the Reverend the Very Reverend um Ian Markham out of uh, uh Virginia Theological Seminary and uh, part of it was 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 a little jealousy. You bring in your guy. I, so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna bring in I'm gonna bring in my guest. So we have we have with us here this morning via uh Virgin Zoom Airlines has flown in. Uh, but I do have with us um Rabbi Dr. Deborah Khan Harris who joins us from London. Um and just to give a little bit of background, um so Rabbi Deborah Khan Harris It is amazing to have her with us. She was raised in Houston, Texas. She received her uh, bachelor's degree in art history from Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts. She came to the United Kingdom in 1989 to study at the Oxford Center for Postgraduate Hebrew Studies before entering the rabbinic program at Leo Beck College in London. She was ordained in 96, uh, subsequently worked for the Reform Synagogues of Great Britain, now the movement of reform Judaism, uh, initial, initially as a university chaplain, building, uh, building upon student and young work and adult work during a uh, new department which was formed around her, uh, around her work. Uh, Rabbi Deborah Con Harris was appointed director of student and young adult work, sitting with the senior management team of the reform movement. In 2001, she departed to live in Jerusalem, in Israel, for a year, where she taught in several places, including uh, Mahon and uh, Tashma. After a brief stint as a temporary assistant rabbi at Temple Beth, El, uh, Tem, sorry, Temple Beth Israel in Melbourne, Australia, uh, Deborah returned back to the United Kingdom, where she uh, was wor- uh, spending her time dividing between uh, the rabbinic team at Shari Tzedek North London Reform Synagogue, Teaching at Leo Beck College, working on her PhD in Bible at the University of Sheffield, and teaching Bible and Jewish studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, in London um, from 2007 to 2009. From uh, 2009 to 2010, uh, Rabbi Harris was the co vice chair of the Assembly of Reform Rabbis in the UK. Uh, she has also hosted And co-hosted an intra-jewish dialogue project with her husband dr keith Kahn harris Uh, her phd is entitled a hammer for shattering rock enjoying classical rabbinical hermeneutics to fashion contemporary feminist commentary on the bible which she completed in the summer of 2011. Uh, rabbi harris is currently the principal of leobec college to which she also teaches Bible, and it is my great pleasure this morning to welcome her uh, to our program. So Rabbi Harris, um, welcome.
2: Thank you, Rabbi Durbin, or or Matt, if I may, since uh, you were previously one of my students, I will always think of you as Matt. It's a great pleasure to be here and uh, to join both you and uh, Father Anderson as well. It's really my great pleasure to be here with you.
1: Thank you. So, so Deborah, let 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 us break it out a little bit, uh, just so for our listeners to to understand and to learn about you, perhaps the college, the the intricacies and the challenges. Uh, for those that may not be aware, the United Kingdom currently right now is on complete and utter lockdown. Um, you know, and and what impact that has uh, on the communities. But to, to to break it a little bit further, you know, in terms of your background, obviously growing up in Houston, Texas, and you know what 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 brought you to what brought you to the United Kingdom? What brought you to the passion to serve Jewish communities and enter into the rabbinate to become uh, a rabbi? What, what, how did that manifest itself?
2: Goodness, there's are quite a few questions there, all in one go. I'll do my best. Um, yes, I did. I did grow up in Texas, and and my you know, my childhood was in the United States. I ended up in Oxford, ostensibly to do a year's postgraduate study. My mother would tell you I sort of forgot to leave after that. And I have now spent more of my life in the UK than I have in the United States. And I have a dual national these days. So um Beck College, where I have the honour to serve as principal, is the only seminary for the progressive Jewish world in the UK. It's the oldest progressive Jewish seminary in Europe and we have a quite international student body albeit we're also we like to think of ourselves as small but perfectly formed so we're quite a, a tiny student body um but really diverse and interesting as well so we serve primarily uk and also continental european communities with occasionally students from other places as well places like uh, south africa or Canada, like your good self, or um, occasionally we had many Russian students, those sorts of, of things as well. As for my own personal journey, how did I get here, aside from just sort of forgetting to leave the UK? Um, I did make a decision, you know, in my early 20s to train at Leo Beck College on the understanding that I would get some funding to do that and that I'd be committed therefore to working in the United Kingdom for a number of years post ordination and I don't know about the rest of you but when I I was 22 10 years didn't mean very much to me and I didn't imagine that if I stayed for that many years that I'd just never leave but of course that's what happens in people's lives is the place where you are a young adult and you grow and you learn and you develop friendships and relationships and eventually I met my husband and married etc um all all kept me here but also Anglo Jewry the progressive Jewish world in the UK and also in in what more broadly in Europe also kept me here um having been raised as a normally conservative Jew in Texas we were you know quasi observant um I often tell the story that I was very clear that pork wasn't kosher and mixed milk and meat but I was 12 before I realized that shellfish wasn't kosher um I suspect some of your Jewish listeners in South Florida might relate to that as well anyway um so that you know I wasn't we were regular shoregoers, but um and I I was also quite a I have to admit quite a feminist in my youth I was the first young woman in my synagogue in Houston to get um Talit and tefillin for my bat mitzvah so Jewish prayer and it's a terribly translated word for phylacteries for tefillin the things you wrap around your arm put on your head when you do morning prayers um I have a stepbrother who is quite a year older than I am and we were bar and bat mitzvah together we're very close and um he was getting all those things and I thought why why shouldn't I be getting all those things as well so that was also part of my identity too Uh, but it really wasn't until I went to Mount Holyoke for my um, university college degree was the first time I met a female rabbi because I grew up in a conservative synagogue in a time when the conservative movement didn't ordain women so uh, in the late 80s when I was at university was the first time I met a female rabbi and it was the first time I allowed myself to think that was something I could do with my life too and it, mm. it is always coming back to that story made me realize how important role modeling is for all of our communities and the real value that I and and yourself Matt and, and Christian also have in and and all of our fellow clergy have in how we behave and what we do and the impact we have on people's lives when we're out there meeting them Mm. one-to-one. I ended up in the UK, as I said, to do some graduate study and then to go to Leo Beck. And I really fell in love with European Jewry. It's such a rich history, such a rich tapestry. Europe is not a monolithic whole. It's not a single place. It's lots and lots of different countries with their own languages, cultures, identities, foods and customs and all all the attendant things that go with it. And all of that's reflected in the Jewish communities in each of those countries. Um, And much of that was very nearly wiped out during the Second World War. Mm. The Holocaust was just a radical rupture in Jewish history, but particularly in European Jewish history. And to be part of the rebuilding of that, to be part of watching it grow and flourish again, has been the privilege of my life. Mm. Of course, English Jewry, UK Jewry wasn't decimated in the way that most continental Jewry was, but it had a direct traumatic impact. And Leo Beck College is, in fact, named after Rabbi Dr Leo Beck, who was the leader of the German Jewish community in Berlin during the Second World War. Um, He died in London after the Second World War. He died about two months after the college was opened and it was named after him. But most of the people who were the early teachers at Leo Beck College were German Jewish refugees who had either had the good fortune to leave just before the Second World War or who had survived its ravages in one way or another, like Rabbi Dr Leo Beck, who survived at Theresienstadt. Um, and so the legacy of that is also very ever-present in, in uh, English Jewish history as well, and in our community here. Yeah. Um, but Leo Beck College has afforded me such a privilege, you know, um, we uh, ordained the first Danish female rabbi in Jewish history. Uh, from a community that was nearly, not wiped out in terms of death, but nearly destroyed by the, the Holocaust, because all of the Danish Jews were effectively smuggled out of Denmark during the Second World War. In um, an amazing story. Uh, we ordained, the, under my watch, the first Spanish-born, Spanish-speaking, progressive Jewish rabbi in Jewish history. Because There were no progressive Jews in 1492 when Jews were expelled from Spain. And, you know, to be able to be part of that and to watch what has happened with Rabbi Chaim Kassas since he was ordained and the impact he's having in Spain and in southern France. Uh, to be part of the resurgence of Jewry across the continent and the building of the largest progressive Jewish community in Europe in the UK, and one of the largest in the world. It's, it's a unique privilege. So that is part of why I stayed, because sometimes to be a big fish in a small pond is more impactful than to be a small fish in a very big pond.
0: Well, the, the, we talk a lot about on here about mission and purpose, And how God has placed a call in our lives. Um, I I think you just took the cake for that. When you're not just the head of a school, Um, your your purpose of really helping rebuild uh, European jewelry and that was decimated after World War II. What a powerful mission! What a powerful mission to wake up to every day to say, "This is where God. Why God has placed me here?" You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what I hear as a priest is you have a divine calling on yourself to to what a what a, a beautiful and an awesome purpose in life to be called to. And uh, you could tell just by, we're also on a video blog here. So all you're listening on a radio, but we're also on a video. So we post this on our Facebook page, which was a shameless plug for you guys to like our Facebook page our Priest and Rabbi. Uh, but you will see the light beaming Uh, from Rabbi Deborah's face when she speaks about this and I think anyone would give anything to to find that calling in their life where they just wake up and they could beam and say yes thank you God for what you put inside uh put in front of me so this is awesome so it really is a pleasure so but my question is you know for just a little information for some of us who are not as um, uh, up to date with our history to understand it more can you just give a, a, a brief understanding of just how decimated um, the uh, uh, if I'm using the term right, jewelry was or uh, European jewelry was after World War II. Like, what did it look like? When you say it was decimated, what does that mean? Like, are we talking like structures? Talking people? Obviously, are we talking just culturally that, that the culture was strict because it, w- it was not freely practiced? What I'm sure psychologically. So, can you just give us an understanding of w- where are you building up from? Where was the starting place?
2: I mean, I, I'll tell you in more detail, but I guess I always explain that there are two great ruptures in Jewish history. One is the destruction of the temple uh, in, um, well, the, certainly the second temple in around the year 70 of the Common Era, um, when everything that everybody understood was Jewish practice, going to the temple, making sacrifices, the whole way in which Jews practice their religion was suddenly ripped out from underneath them Um, and then the subsequent suppressions by rome and uh, um, the you know the whole way in which we understood what was to be jewish was rewritten into actually how we more or less practice judaism today but the second world war and the the holocaust or the shoah as jews call it um was the second great rupture in jewish history and it was a rupture that affected uh, Across Europe, which was where the majority of Jews in the world lived, six million of them were killed, uh, which was, uh, you know, a, a huge percentage of, inter- of world Jewry at that stage. Um, it, every community in every country was affected slightly differently, but you can think of a city like Amsterdam, which was probably more than fifty percent Jewish before the Second World War, and today has a, you know. Uh, has a, a thriving Jewish community but is a you know eligible percentage of the city of Amsterdam um you know huge swaths of what we understand today's Poland uh were you know shtetls as they were known small villages they were just Jewish spaces there they don't exist anymore Polish Jewry is tiny we we're hugely privileged last year uh, this past summer to ordain a, a, a polish-born rabbi and though he's working in the uk he also has strong connections to the polish progressive communities um but they're tiny they're just this tiny fraction of the overall society um for the orthodox the very traditional world it was a theological trauma like none other um how could god's choose chosen people just be led literally like cattle to slaughter um singing their faith in God while they are being mass murdered. For progressive Jews, such as ourselves, also it was a theological trauma, but also a cultural, ethnic trauma as well, in the sense that many Jews, particularly in Germany, were quite assimilated, understood themselves to be German citizens, to be thoroughly German. Many of them had fought for the mother, fatherland in the First World War. They were decorated veterans. They were part of German society. Um, other than the fact that they, you know, didn't go to church, there was nothing to mark them out. And um, some of them, you know, the Nazis find anybody with one Jewish grandparent as a Jew. Some of these people had virtually no Jewish identity at all, and yet they were carted off and slaughtered like everybody else. This was a massive trauma. The great Jewish experiment that said if you assimilate to your culture, you become valued members of society, you engage, you're good citizens, um, and you just worship slightly differently. Me will protect you. It was ripped to shreds by that experience. People who had been their neighbors turned on them overnight. And yes, there are some extraordinary and powerful narratives of people who saved Jews, Christians, Muslims, uh, non-religious people in all sorts of context, the story I alluded to in Denmark, but also the much, much less known story of the Bulgarian Jewish community as well. There are these exceptional stories where people were saved, but by and large, Anti-Semitism that had been rife in Europe, certainly since the Middle Ages, um, blood libel stories and, and other horrific lies about Jewish communities rose rapidly to the surface. And our communities were decimated, not only in terms of who died and how many, but also in terms of how badly it shook Judaism to its core.
0: Yeah, I, don't, I, I think that for, the, for many of us, that awareness of what it means culturally and religiously post war uh, of what how it shook uh, the Jewish world and just just naming off some of these like what Poland looks like now um, we know that the you know the 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 good guys won in World War Two and move forward but the, what what the ramifications of what that of what that meant um, and so as a as a as a and I think, now, I
1: think Father Anderson I think that there's also you know, there's times where I think if you are in Europe, certainly continental Europe, there are areas where you can still feel the effects of the war 75, 80 years later. I mean, look at areas like Berlin. Um, granted, this is this is you know my my own commentary of many years uh, ago of seeing Berlin, but it almost seemed like Berlin was like New York City, um, just uh, um, uh, yet to be still developed. Uh, you know, burned out buildings, and you could still feel those effects. So many years later, um, even with Berlin, you know, they put up a Jewish museum. They put up, you know, a, a, a big, a big wall that said, "We remember. We remember." There are big placards all over Berlin, over the city center, that says, "We remember. We remember Auschwitz, Treblinka, Majdanek. We remember these, 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 these camps where so many people had lost their lives." Um, and, and, and there's something there of a tribute um, that I think that Europe. And certainly, continental Europe still, still many years later, still feel the the, the shocks after. Um, as as Rabbi Harris was mentioning, you know, look, um, you know, for most people, we 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 see that image of Polish Jewry and you know, two million Jews that were innocently murdered in Poland. It's a huge number, but when you look at the number of Jews to whom um, uh, never returned from other nations around the world, I believe, and I could be wrong. I don't think so, but Holland was the number one country in Europe where the largest percentage of Jews who never returned. So I think it's just interesting to look at the makeup of 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 Europe in terms of you know where is it now in 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 2021? Is it is it is it progressing? I mean, we know Germany certainly is progressing. We know that there are more Jews coming back into Germany and certainly uh, other areas, um, but it's a uh, it's definitely a different makeup than we have here uh, in
0: the United States. Yeah, so let's let's so, so Rabbi Deborah, what what is the so now we know where we've come from, and now we know that you're you're in the middle of just forming leaders in the midst of this. Um, do you do you ever see that your your position or your role sometimes is I don't want to say like a, like a building up, but but is it is is it sort of like this revitalization? of jewelry and you can and, and sometimes yes. it's it's hard it's hard to quantify that or can, can't do you ever look at numbers of just saying has the numbers of practicing jews risen over the last 20 years 30 years 40 years and and yeah how do you how, how look, do you how do you quantify and sit around your team
2: so look I don't personally deal with um quantitative sort of stuff there's a outfit in the UK known as the Institute for Jewish Policy Research. Uh, They do a lot of that research here in the UK and some in Europe and there are other European bodies that do some of that. Um, I guess in any, any of our communities, there is that kind of debate between quantitative and qualitative work, right? Is it more important that you transform the life of one person or that synagogue or church membership has gone up by so many numbers or such a percentage, right? Um, We all have that issue. One of the the great things about running my institution is, is that I'm slightly out of that game obviously it's important for me to know what the trends are, where are the communities, who's going to need rabbis over the coming years, where are communities growing, shrinking, and um, what kinds of things do people need to know. Um, but what's great for me is that I get to deal with the one-to-one. We have about 20 rabbinical students and a small number of other students. We usually We have about 25 or so students on average in the college. We do a few other things besides just training rabbis, we train Jewish educators. We also have a wonderful online um, education program for adults continuing education. And then we have uh, two to three hundred people annually taking our courses, which at the moment are all online and can be found on our website. But um, we, um, you know, I really get to deal with individual transformation so for me it's really about the qualitative work uh i get to really talk to the individual and go with them on a journey that helps them take them to the space they need to be to lead and develop community life
1: so we're going to take um we're going to take a quick break uh and when we come back just going to pick up on um uh, rabbi dr deborah khan harris principal of leo beck college in london uh, england in terms of you know um as 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 she is uh you know behind the helm of uh, uh, of a rabbinical seminary in terms of you know the the current training of our rabbis and future jewish educators um in a life that we find ourselves with a pandemic and how does that how is that impacted and how is it enhanced or hindered um our own growth and understanding so uh, join us back in uh in a, in a quick moment
3: You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey,
0: everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian, and you can check it out on YouTube, and uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode, and it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was, What Do Women Really Want?, um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, or someone to be there for you, during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or, and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, Oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call seven seven two two eight seven three two four four 772-287-3244. And I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right. God bless you and enjoy the rest of the podcast.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to uh, what appears to be today, uh, two rabbis and a priest. Um, I would have said a priest and two rabbis, but, um, you know, we, we, we Jews sometimes are, are, are the forgotten people. Uh, but it is wonderful to have with us, um, uh, not only my my compadre, uh, Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's, uh, but also it is such a joy and a pleasure uh, to have with us, Principal of Leo Beck College in London. Um, Rabbi Dr. Deborah Con Harris, who has joined us uh, this morning to talk about, you know, some of the challenges and um, you know the future of of not only European Jewry but, but what Europe is currently um, you know conflicted with and you know how as leaders uh, of, of 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 communities around the world, how are we training um, and and with the sensitivity and the understanding and the uh, challenges that present itself. Uh, before us, uh, I know in the past, Father Anderson, we have we have both commented um, and said that uh, our our both of our respective um, institutions to which we um, are are proud alum of um, never really gave us courses on what happens if an entire country or an entire world shut down. You know, we didn't have the you know you go back a hundred years ago to the Spanish flu. You know, we didn't have the opportunity to embrace technology and zoom in uh, in some way to be able to still reconnect uh, with our communities, with um, others in our midst, um, you know, the challenges that present itself. And I think here in America, we definitely see a lot of the challenges as we've really been been in it for 10 months or so, as, as, my, as my oldest daughter this morning commented and said, you know, Dad, we've been on um, steaming lockdown." For 10 months right now. And I said, Oh, really? And she said, Oh, no, I'm sorry, Dad. It hasn't been 10 months. It's been nine months. Remember, we went on lockdown in March. So, you know, it's interesting to see as as an American uh, society, what we have done in terms of rapidly pivoting to be able to embrace and um, encourage growth in our communities um for those that may have heard my my sermons on the high holy days uh, i certainly did mention and talk about how as jews um and i'm sure father anderson this is this this certainly probably relates to you as well both as jews and christians how we rapidly had to pivot very quickly to start putting everything online and just start putting things together so that people can still connect and not disconnect um out of out of community life out of church life synagogue life um so you know the fact that we have um, you know an expert in in European Jewry, you know Rabbi um, Con Harris. I'd, I'd love to hear you know your experience. Um, certainly, this is not Britain's first lockdown. Uh, I believe that Britain has gone undergone a series of lockdowns, um, and what that means both for you know the college itself and the training of uh, future leaders, but also what does that mean for not only say the city of London but also within the provinces. Uh, and, and just for, for those that may not be familiar, uh, you know, uh, Britain and, and the Commonwealth do not have states. Uh, we have provinces. Um, so outside of the provinces. You say
0: we? You said we. Yeah, it's the royal we. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 If anything, you're a Canadian. You're you're not a Brit. When God God says,
1: let us make man in our image, Uh who
0: is the we? You are a Canadian. You are a North American. You are across the pond. Don't try to say that you're part of the the, the royal history. Hey, hey, my citizenship,
1: my citizenship, God willing, will be approved
0: hopefully by July. And and then you'll be the red, white, and blue. So now you'll be one of the colonists who, what they call on July 4th across the pond, the purification of the Empire Day. Hey, July 1st is just as important
2: um so so well we'll yes we we are on lockdown number three in the uk um or certainly in england um we actually have is devolved governments in scotland wales and northern ireland which uh, have certain responsibilities that they look after for their own areas and that includes things like lockdowns so england is on its third lockdown scotland wales and northern ireland also on lockdowns but it's some minor differences to the one in England. Um, We went on lockdown around the third week in March of 2020 for the first time and when we say lockdown I mean you may not leave your home except for food shopping, medications and one hour a day of exercise uh, unless you are a key worker or have a job that you cannot perform from home so it's it's pretty strict um up to a point um we know that internationally there are other countries with much stricter lockdowns than ours but I take it our lockdown is rather stricter than any that might have come into force in South Florida what uh, what does that mean well actually the week before national lockdown was announced Leo Beck College decided to stop teaching in person and move everything online we did that for a few Few reasons, but the most important of which is an important Jewish principle, which is Pikuch nefesh, which is about the sanctity and the value of life, uh, and that that actually transcends virtually everything else—not quite, but virtually everything else. So that you know, you—I um, don't know—you know—if you're not allowed to carry an item on Shabbat. But you need to, in order to save someone's life, you can do that. And for us, we began to understand how quickly the virus is spreading. We're a small community. We have a lot of people with underlying health conditions, with caring responsibilities um, and other sorts of things that make them extra vulnerable. And we didn't want it in our community. Sadly, it was already in our community. We didn't know it at the time. But by the time we closed down, it was already in our community. I myself had covid 19 um, and I was ill with it for solidly for two weeks, and took me many more weeks than that to recover. So it's uh, something I know firsthand. Uh, luckily, we haven't lost anybody in our community, but we did have some people quite seriously ill with it. And we have re- remained online throughout the 2020 2021 academic year in order to keep people as safe as possible. I, I think. We would all agree, both faculty and students, that it's not ideal. We don't love it. It's not our favorite way of being together as a community. We've done some exciting things. So our daily morning services, known as Shacharit in in Hebrew, we opened up to the wider British progressive Jewish community. Uh, And so we had in the mornings from Monday to Thursday, pretty much throughout that period from March of 2020 right through to now um, there was a scaled back version in August but beyond that our students and faculty mostly our students who've been superb have really kept that going for everybody in our community who wants to join that's been a really important uh, both to the wider community and to us as well, because although nobody from our directly about college little bubble has passed away, lots of people have lost people close to them, people they know. Uh, and having a space where we can mourn together is very important in the Jewish tradition. So those have been something that we've done. We also had lots of training for all of our faculty over the summer months to give them some ideas about how to do better pedagogy online. It's hard. Um, As I think I was saying before our break, a lot of the work we do is intensive, one-to-one personal development, transformational education. It's hard to do that online. We're doing our best. Mm. We really are, and we all look forward to the day, please God, when we can meet together in person again, in safety, knowing that we don't endanger each other's lives by doing so. So we're trying to adjust Um, All of our students are learning about how to lead services online because they're all having to do it suddenly in their placement work. Um, But in terms of the curriculum itself, we haven't changed a great deal of the content. And one of our recent graduates said something very wise to me. Um, She did her first high holiday services as an ordained rabbi this past year. And afterwards, one of her congregants relayed to her that she was amazing and she's so whizzy with all The technology and so creative and she didn't need to go to rabbinical school after all did she and her response was i wouldn't have had any content for all that whizzy technology if i hadn't been to rabbinical school you know we can all go on courses online uh etc to learn how to use all the latest apps and all the latest creative technology but if you don't have content to put in them if you don't know how to give the great sermon, if you don't know how to teach fundamentally, if you don't have anything to actually say, if you don't have the theology and the textual materials to back up the stuff that you want to give to your communities, if you don't have pastoral skills, then all of the apps in the world won't help you. So we have maintained that we need to keep teaching people stuff we need to keep skilling people in the core fundamentals of Jewish liturgy, Jewish textual materials, history, theology, philosophy, uh, Jewish thought, Jewish practice, rituals, life cycle events, all the the key stuff, not to mention sermon writing, um, because that's what they need to fill all the whizzy stuff with. And that's what we've been trying to do.
0: And have there been electives added? Um, Any kind of electives added for just or workshops on how to do online stuff and how to meet the digital synagogue and or the digital temple. Yeah. In the church we say we call it the digital church. And so now our church is, we have now permanently said we're a hybrid church. So we have two congregations, one that's online and one that's right in front of us. Because here in Florida, we've we've been open for four months, our church. Um, and so there's there's a how do you do formation online? How do we do how do we do teaching? How do we everything? We have to always. Be aware of that and and we've had to bring in professionals for that or raise money uh to do that but does that affect anything of how you guys whether it's approach bringing in a an adjunct professor or a workshop
2: so we've done lots of workshops for our faculty to do exactly that uh one of our fundamental beliefs is that people learn through experience better than workshopping so in other words if i'm better if i know some of the stuff that we need to use then students will learn for that Admittedly, I'm a sort of middle-aged dinosaur, and most of my students are a generation younger than I am, and they know they know the apps better than I do, to be honest. Mm. So, I, you know, we, we will also be looking towards doing some more of that. We have, at the end of the second semester in June, we have a couple of weeks every year where we do different interesting things that don't fit into the normal classroom schedule, and we'll be doing some of that then with them, but we've been doing it with faculty, certainly. Um, we've been encouraging them to, to watch colleagues who are skilled at this stuff and see what they're do- doing. And there's a lot of sharing between my rabbinic colleagues. And whenever they're doing that, I'm like, can we include students, please, as well? And of course. Of course, they're happy to do that, too. And yes, that means external consultants by and large. We have probably two or three colleagues, I would say, who are particularly good at this stuff. And in fact, we have uh, I have one former student um, who was ordained just over uh, like 18 months ago now, who actually worked for his rabbinic dissertation on an on an ethics document around the digital world. Okay. is hugely overlooked as well hugely overlooked so um, that's really important and has been informing some of our work um, more broadly across our communities uh, I think the question about whether we're going to be blended or in person or how it's gonna work post all of this is still very much up in the air for a lot of people sure. I, I think nobody knows it can go back to exactly how it was before and nobody's yet entirely sure what will come out of all of this either so um, while we want to future-proof students it's also kind of hard to know exactly how much of this we can do with them um, and as I said being content rich on you know two and a half thousand years worth of Jewish history in practice and thought etc and textual materials is still our primary purpose but we've had to rethink all sorts of things last year we were able to uh, you mentioned formation work. We were able to do our admissions board in person last year. It was the last thing we did before we shut down. We realized this year we're just not going to do that. And our admissions board is a three-day intensive process with lots of interviews, including with a psychotherapist and um, just lots of different interpersonal skills and group work skills. And we've had to really rethink how we're going to do that online um, because it's, it's clearly going to feel different for all of us. And we're in the midst of working that out as we speak.
1: You know, it's interesting, interesting given given obviously the challenges that, that present itself not only certainly in Europe, but also, you know, in America uh, and, and and around the world, is, you know, and, and I keep thinking about that 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 silver lining that 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 we have. Uh, you know, we as a congregation employed it last week. You know, on Saturday night, we did a concert with, with many other synagogues via Zoom or whatever it may have been. And we, we brought to our community the Afro-Semitic experience. So it was African music infused with Jewish music, and it was great. Um, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that a year ago. You know, and now, in looking at it from a European perspective, I mean, the college has a unique opportunity to be able to, you know, Zoom in rabbis from, from, from France or Germany or Spain or all over Europe. And not have to pay for the expense to get them there and to impart their wisdom and their knowledge on our students on a virtual platform really opens the door. However, I, I am aware, as you've said, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, that we know, there, there, there is something to be said about virtual learning as opposed to the in-person, the ability to touch, to see, to sense, to smell, to breathe, to know, um, you know, that, that whole understanding um, of, 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 of being together. Um, Have you seen, in terms of the the college and the students, in terms of their energy level and their excitement and their, uh, you know, thirst for learning, has it wavered because it's been online? Has it been more of a challenge and a struggle to to really inspire um, in a time of COVID where it's been really challenging?
2: you know i think that differs from student to student and class to class i think they are still enthused for what they're doing it's certainly the case that our continental european students have been able to live in their home countries throughout the pandemic which has been important for them so we have students in italy and in france in particular who've been able to live in their home communities and in holland as well throughout all of this which has been very important in terms of their family life I think students are in some ways more desperate to learn and uh, to feel that they're closer to being able to work out in communities on their own um, because of all of this and I think that you know there's some things you can't replicate and some things that you have to think of a different way of doing and some things that you have to kind of invest in a bit more um in, in my Bible class, one of the classes I teach is, one of the courses I teach is on um, one of the classes I teach is on the Song of Songs. Lots of my students have never smelled frankincense and myrrh. And normally, when we are reading that bit of the Song of Songs where the, the hills of spice, frankincense, and myrrh are described, I would light some incense in the classroom so people can smell it. Uh, so for that class, I sent them surprised gift packets and they all got their own little um incense burners with frankincense and myrrh incense and they sort of lit them at home and it was a it was a different kind of experience but it it showed a different kind of thinking about students and what, how we can work together and, uh, and it was it was a lovely moment watching them all sort of trying to light their incense burners and having their own sort of um, effects of that But yeah you do have to rethink it and has it affected their thirst for knowledge no i think sitting in front of a screen for a long time every day is hard we have reduced the number of contact hours but it's still rough and lots of them and again this is due to the nature of the lockdown here people with children at home because schools are currently closed it's just hard like how do you study yourself when you've got a a seven-year-old and a five-year-old running around also supposed to be doing online learning Not easy. Definitely not easy. I myself have two teenagers learning online at home and while they're um, less needy in terms of like turning the computer on and they can know how to sit still, they're needy in other sorts of ways, right? Because teenagers, unsurprisingly, did not want to spend 24-7 with their grown-up parents all day. So they have other sorts of issues and that can be really difficult. You know, just even having to signpost, don't come into my office, I'm doing a podcast, I don't care if you need something from this room, can also be a challenge. So all of that, we've had to learn, uh, our personal lives intrude in different ways, and we're learning about each other in different ways as a result. And I think it's making us more compassionate and understanding of each other too.
0: Mm. Speaking of compassion, um, there... (laughs) There's been a lack of compassion that we've seen in, um, as we watched a, a rise of anti-Semitism over the last uh, four or five years. I mean, it's a, it's always been there, but now there's been permission, permission that we've seen um, culturally um, over the last four years for, for it to be practiced more. Um, at least I could say in the States, we've looked at the numbers, the amount of hate crimes that have gone up, but also anti-Semitic acts. And we've seen this in Europe, too, of, of stuff as horrific as bombings and, and shootings. So. Uh, I, I know that that's, uh, <laughs> that's been pretty consistent. Um, and I think sometimes from a Christian lens, we, we, we just don't see it as as much um, and we're not as sensitive to it. Um, and, but for you, as a, as you form these leaders, has that come up in the, in the, in the formation or the last four years, how to address that? Or is that, or are you just saying like, Father Christian, it's always there. So we're always talking about that or because there's been a rise. Is that, but no, but like, Everything from just safety awareness or how do you pastorally raise up pastoral leaders who are going to take care of congregations who might even be frightened to to attend the synagogue um, or frightened about what does this mean now like just just being a Jew in my country or in my city that has, have you felt any of those nerves does that come up in class.
2: All the time. So obviously, as I said, we have people from, across different parts of continental Europe and anti-Semitism um, is experienced, but it also has it has different nuances in different places. I, um, as I said, we have a number of French students at the moment, we have an Italian student, a Dutch student. We have lots of people from the UK. Uh, we have people from different sorts of backgrounds. Um, particularly in France, a lot of the communities are of North African descent who have different experiences of anti-Semitism. Traditionally, traditionally, historically in the UK, anti-Semitism has actually been very low. Um, This has been a fairly safe community, but there have been some spectacularly awful incidences as well. And over the past several years, certainly, and certainly before Jeremy Corbyn stepped down as leader of the labor, Uh, party, the main opposition party in the UK, Uh, there were huge tensions, there continue to be huge tensions within uh, the Labour Party over left-wing anti-Semitism, and that's a massive issue. And we have students who are very left-wing politically, uh, who are, you know, know Jeremy Corbyn personally, and think he's a great guy, and other students who are more centrist, um, who may have sympathies with Labour Party policies, uh, but but think that Corbyn and his followers are, you know, have enabled anti-Semitism and then people more right-wing in their uh, politics. Um, lots of different things that going on, and that enters into classroom and classroom discourse all the time. Uh, it has meant over the years, particularly over recent years, having to have facilitated conversations about particular issues, um, and it is a constant source of conversation, both in. Uh, uk Jewry and more broadly in european Jewry, what defines anti-semitism what does it look like how does it manifest itself how do we call it out how do we deal with it how mm. do we deal with our synagogues being safe but also welcoming spaces uh you know the whole gamut and it's it's a conversation that starts in in seminary but goes you know throughout uh, the lives and uh, working lives of of rabbis, uh, it, it's an, an unfortunately an inescapable fact sure. of our lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Um, listen, th- this is there, there's so much more we'd love to ask. And just with the topic I just introduced to you at the final minutes of the show, <laughs> we'll love to ask more. But unfortunately, well, you know, you can
2: always with... invite me back.
0: We can always <laughs> invite you back. But how can people find out more about you and more about your college?
2: www.lbc.ac.uk or just look up Leo Beck College online there are lots of there are several other institutions with the name Leo Beck in them so make sure it's Leo Beck College Um, but uh, you can find everything you need online and all of our adult education courses are currently online and available available internationally to anybody who'd like to take them so please have a look and sign up if you're interested in that as well
0: so rabbi durbin could take more extended classes and
2: he could matt can always learn more but but you too father anderson you're welcome too in our courses thank you we have lots of non-jews who take our classes we only had 30
1: hours a day (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone uh this is another episode of a priest and a rabbi here i'm father christian next to me is the best looking rabbi this side of the jordan river uh, which is rabbi durbin but now we have been overwhelmed by the beauty and intelligence of reverend deborah here so thank you for being with us here today and, and shedding so much light on us so uh god bless you and all the work that you do and uh, thank you for being such a wonderful guest and uh, god bless all the work that you're that you're doing